welcome back to The Drop, the contest and news edition this week. A very, very special podcast with the upcoming El Salvador event and no doubt another massive week in surf news to catch up on. Stace Galbraith, your host here, along with Michael Saramella and Brendan Big Dick Power Surfer Buckley are going to take you through a massive podcast this week. First up, it's going to be Mikey and myself giving you a update on the El Salvador event. Followed by that will be the news. So uh, let's get stuck in. Madrid Mike, how are you? I am very well. I'm now uh, Santa Cruz Mike, but not Santa Cruz, California. Santa Cruz, Portugal. I'm staying at Buck's house for a few days, extending the Euro trip. I heard that you pulled through Lisbon and did an all-nighter on the way through to Santa Cruz. Uh, unfortunately not. No, but I did. I, I made it to f- some... I made it to 4 a.m. in some club in Madrid the other night, so that's kind of like where I've peaked so far. Oh, I must have been getting you confused with Stab Highway's Mackenzie Bowden. Oh, easy mistake to make. Yes, it is. People, um, yeah, we get uh, crossed up a lot, actually. You'd be surprised. No, well, look, uh, I'm stoked to hear that your, your uh, Euro vacation is uh, being extended, and rightly so. What better time to be in Portugal than the middle of summer? So I hope you're enjoying yourself, mate. <laughs> yeah, actually, and interestingly, there is a little wave today. So after this, I'm going to go get wet. I think I might go surf the uh, that Kelly Slater 540 wave, see if I can do a 720. Oh, that'd be sick. What a great part of the world. Don't forget to have some sardines. Yep. So anyway, Stacy, there's a lot going on right now. ISA World Games just ended. We've still got some things to talk about, I think, with the, the fallout from the pool event. And then obviously, we're going into the CT event in El Sal. So where do you want to start? Yeah, look, I think we owe it to the listeners to give a bit of an update, really, on um, the last three most recent world champions sort of calling out the sport, really, and, and, the, and the whole admin behind it. Um, it's been a pretty big week, and I think for the surfers, particularly the surfers involved, a lot of them, they've been able to sort of shake off last week, at least for themselves, um, competitively. Every single surfer that was one way or another caught up in the surf ranch you know, drama, I guess you'd call it. Um, they all competed in El Salvador this week. So Gabriel, Philippe, maybe not Italo, I might be wrong on that one. Griffin and Ethan have all been pretty busy. So I think that's probably a good thing for them mentally leading into the next CT event. But for us who basically watch this unfold through social media, I still think there's a bit of a hangover there, Mikey. Yeah, it's, I mean... It is weird that we haven't heard anything official come out. Like, I mean, first of all, all of those guys that said something on Instagram, they're all in the heat draw for El Salvador. So it doesn't seem as though there's going to be a suspension. Fines and whatnot, I would I would have to imagine there's going to be some sort of penalty. And I don't know. We each gave our opinion on it last week. I maybe sided a little bit more with the surfers, you with the WSL. I heard a really interesting perspective this week that I hadn't really fully considered from Sam McIntosh and he basically just framed it like look the WSL is a privately owned business that doesn't answer any shareholders Um, and when you think about it someone like Gabriel Medina who has built this incredible following he's made an incredible amount of wealth through surfing he's incredibly famous none of that would have happened without the WSL like yeah he'd be a really good surfer but first and foremost in Brazil they don't care really about free surfers, right? They care about people who are winning, whether it's in surfing or soccer or whatever other sport. So there's there's that, right? And then even if you think about it today, you could say, oh, well, you know, what if Gabby didn't compete in the WSL and he just competed in the Olympics? And it's like the, the most obvious path to get to the Olympics is through the WSL. So he literally needs it. The only other way that he could get to the Olympics is if the Brazilian team won the 2024 ISA World Games and then they decided to pick him as their additional surfer for that. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just it is interesting because the WSL is it's a governing body, but it's also a business. And there's somebody out there named Dirk Ziff who is literally paying billions of dollars or not quite billions of dollars, but lots of millions of dollars to create this platform that made Gab Rich, that made Felipe and Italo famous. Um, and yeah, I don't know, like it, it's kind of a you come back to it and it's basically this guy is a benefactor for surfing and to come in and call him out, you know, based off of some things that you feel like aren't going your way. Maybe it's not really seeing the forest for the trees. I I don't disagree with any of that. Although I do, I do feel that, you know, 
Gabriel had a couple of things play into his favour early on in his career that were completely outside of his control. The, the one, the big thing for, for him was that Brazil didn't make it out of the stages of the World Cup in the soccer that year in the World Cup, the year that he became world champion. And you might see no correlation in that, or you might see a massive one. I see a massive one. They needed a hero, and he was their hero. Like, first ever surfing Brazilian world champion. Like, that timing couldn't have been any better. So I think in that sense, Gabriel owes the sport a lot. But at the same time, he also doesn't... I don't know that he does. So, you know, there's a lot going on there just outside of surfing with Gabriel. And I mentioned that last time on the podcast. And I'm not so sure that I side with the WSL necessarily. I'm more side with in competitive sports, particularly subjective ones, there's always something internal, I believe, that you could have done to better your outcome than rather than looking to push the blame somewhere else. And I think you'll notice that in Gabriel's Instagram after the event, um, along with Griffin's, they did some of their best surfing on their Instagrams. Griffin with the rodeo flip, Gabriel with massive alley-oops at the end of the wave, which he was unable to complete that in the pool when it mattered. So in, in my mind, I was more siding with the performance and what was left on the table, not so much the judging. Um, I think you can just end up, obviously, in some pretty deep rabbit holes if you look at judging. I kind of more look at the personal performances. And one thing that I do think, which you should never take something personally, but I I took Gabriel's post and, and, and his, you know, countryman's post personal to Griffin and Ethan and the surfing they were doing. They're basically saying that the judges are tripping, rewarding their surfing and not ours. Yeah, there is something to that. Um, and to the point that we made last week, you know, tastes do change. Um, Sam, Sam brought up a couple of other names that probably felt that as well. Um, you know, like a Jadson Andre, right? And you, I think you said that last week as well too. Like his surfing was good enough to beat Slater back in, I think it was like 2007 or so in that Brazil event. And today it probably wouldn't have been if you, if you ran that heat back now and gave the judges that same heat, I don't know if Jadson would have won. So it's yeah, taste change and we need to. Um, I guess if you're an athlete, you can either sit there and be grumpy about it, sour grapes, or you can try to improve and adapt to fit the new criteria. So that's the decision that the Brazilians have to face. Granted, that maybe affects some of them more than others. I, I think Felipe very much um, fits within the modern criteria, Gab and Italo a little bit less. So it'll be interesting to see if they, one, will, and two, can change their surfing to sort of meet the judges in the middle here and apply some of the, the kind of smoother rail surfing that they seem to be rewarding, along with the airs. Of course, that's not gone away. No, definitely. And I, I do think that all of those surfers, you know, you mentioned Philippe's already there, uh, but Gabriel and Italo, they definitely have that within them. And I reckon that I've already started to notice that change, particularly with Gabriel. I noticed it at Margaret River. He was sitting and waiting for the two best waves. And that's what Italo did last year at El Salvador when he beat Ethan in the quarters. He waited for two set waves and he executed a really high level of surfing on those set waves. And I think that's that's not that's the shift that's going to happen with them, I believe, if they're going to be successful. It's not so much the surfing to change. I just think that those guys, they're used to riding a lot of smaller, inferior waves and surfing them up. But I don't think there's that big a talent gap now between, say, a Gabe and a Griffin. So they just have to be a bit better with their wave selection. And absolutely, they have it in them to be able to give the judges what they're looking for. But I just think what Griffin and Ethan are doing a bit better at the moment in the ocean is that they're riding set waves and they're executing really highly. So it's game on. And I think that Ethan and Griffin deserve a lot of credit for being just grommets on the tour and now being a part of this conversation, which is ultimately awesome. We're still talking about an event that was a week ago. So I'm all for it. I think that the top five, the top eight at the moment in the men's, it... It's never been better. Yeah. One small counter argument for this whole shift, though, is what you were just talking about. Now, if we have every surfer just sitting out the back waiting for the best waves of the heat, aren't we going to lose a bit of entertainment value? Like, there really was something special in knowing that you get a heat with Gab or Italo or whatever, and you're going to get them up and riding every four minutes trying something crazy. So, I mean, obviously, that's not a conscious thing on the WSL's end, but it, it is interesting how it might sort of shift the, the whole I don't know, the way that a heat plays out and therefore the way that we enjoy it. I'm grateful that I got a counter-argument out of you, Mike. It only took two episodes, and I welcome it. I think you're absolutely right. And if I was to ever point a finger at sports administration, <laughs> it would be right now. And I would say that maybe, just maybe, there is a time for change in a 
not so much criteria shift, but how we look at heats uh, and, and what it means to be, you know, engaging to a younger audience. And I can tell you right now, surfing's like baseball or test cricket. I love it, but I can't watch it with the, every group of friends that I have. It, it takes a very certain specific type of person to enjoy pro surfing. And I'm one of those people. I absolutely love it. I love watching every single heat. I think there's a story in every heat and I love watching it. But for that to change, hey, maybe we need to employ some sort of shorter format. Did you hear what happened with golf this week? I've heard some tears have been flowing. Can you fill me in? So you obviously know that that, um, that Saudi-backed Live Golf uh, kind of rebel tour popped up about a year or so ago. And the PGA Tour was, like, super against it. They were, you know, saying, like, oh, you know, they're just um, sports washing, blah, blah, blah. Kind of, like, condemning any of the players that decided to switch over to Liv. And this week, Liv and PGA came together. And so they're now going to be one entity. So now you have all these golfers who took like the quote unquote respectable route of sticking with the um, PGA despite getting huge offers, like in some cases hundreds of millions of dollars to make this switch over to live. And now they're having to do it anyway because their governing body went and made a like backroom deal with live. Um, and the whole live thing is like it's supposed to make golf more fun and approachable um, as far as like the viewership goes. So. I don't know. It seems like, to your point, you could put golf in that same vein as test cricket or whatever, that it's just long and boring and, and whatnot. So all these sports are having to adapt, and I wonder how surfing will respond to that. And I think we're actually – they're still heading in the right direction, like with the, the mid-year cut and these shorter events and stuff, but I wonder if they need to push it even further in order to actually make the business sustainable. It's a great time to be alive, Mikey, in, uh, in surfing. I definitely think there has to be some change afoot. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're dealing with something that I don't think could just be the same forever. Like, you can't cut the tour again. <laughs> so, I, I wait with, uh, with bated breath. But, in the meantime, speaking of live golf, the ISA World Games ran all week in El Salvador. And what incredible storylines there were. Like, take away the CT crew. You know, reading on the site about teams like India... And, you know, the first surfer out of Iran and, like, truly making surfing a global sport. Man, hats off to Fernando. He's a madman. He's an absolute icon, I'm calling. He'd be horrible to deal with in the business room, I reckon. But he's definitely got the vision and I, I back him for it. Okay. Well, shit. Is that going to be... Is the ISA WSL collab going to be the, the big thing in surfing? And just make events with, with 5,000 people and make... <laughs> <laughs> Never ending. <laughs> Shotgun start, 20-person heats. I think that, you know, WSL's already in bed with Fernando. They had to be to get, you know, any kind of leg up into the Olympics because he had the key to that door, which the WSL wanted. So that's already happened, and I definitely think Fernando has the upper hand. Like, he's pretty much said, your surfers have to be at my event. And it, it is just by the grace of Fernando's, I believe, kindness that he even put the event at El Salvador. He could have put it anywhere in the Americas. Well... Not just before a CT. Well, first of all, he loves, obviously, events in Latin American countries because he is from Latin America. And I would imagine that in the same way that El Salvador is throwing some money around at the WSL, they're probably doing the same for the ISA. So maybe not all so altruistic. I definitely think that he can do whatever he wants. And he's done that in the past, made surfers go from very strange, uh, very strange locations to another strange location just to tick a box. And you would see surfers competing in one heat, not seven, before they withdrew. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so on that, we saw basically most of the world's best surfers compete in this event because it was sort of well-positioned within their schedule. So good on, uh, good on you for that, ISA and Fernando. But we also saw a lot of them lose out a lot earlier than they probably should have. And I mean, that had to be conscious, right? Because the only people that like the only C tier that made the final was Kanoa Igarashi. And it just so turns out that he's one of the few one of the few CT surfers from a nation that actually could directly qualify for the Olympics via that event. And I don't think that's a coincidence. No, not at all. And it wasn't just friendly that they had to do that event because it was before a CT. They, they have to compete in it to be eligible. Let's just make that clear. So obviously you'd, you'd expect someone like Felipe or whoever else, I mean, all the best surfers in the world were in it to, to make it a little bit farther than they did. But 
realistically, this event is not going to get them into the Olympics. It's just going to make them eligible. So they lost earlier than they probably would have so that they could get ready for the CT event, which ironically, like the longer you spend in an ISA event, depending on how you kind of look at yourself as an athlete and say, okay, I want to get like this much rest or I want to go practice on the actual CT wave. The CT wave is how you're actually going to qualify for the Olympics for most of these guys. Like Felipe needs to finish in the top five and then he needs to finish within the top two Brazilians in order to qualify for the Olympics. So I think it's kind of smart. It makes sense. Like, yeah, they, they got to do the ISA event, but in the end of the day, they need to do well in the CT event. So it makes sense that they bailed out a bit early. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, to take it through the list of people that did actually qualify. It was Billy Stammond and Safi Vetti for New Zealand, Shino Matsuda and Kanoa Igarashi for Japan, like you just mentioned. Geordie Smith and Sarah Baum have qualified for South Africa. More on Geordie Smith in a minute. Kauli Vast and Vahine Fierro for France. Round of applause, round of applause for, for those two. That is just massive. So good on them. Huge. Lots of emotion. He could win the Olympics. Remember what he did last year at the CT? He could 100% win the Olympics. Yeah. Anyway, to continue, uh, the winners of the ISA World Games this year were Al Cleland Jr. from Mexico and Tatiana Weston-Webb from Brazil. How good was it to see Al just go out there and stomp, curb stomp some fools? Is he one of the most underrated surfers in the world? I reckon. 100%. He's so incredibly talented. He's only just turned 20, I believe, if that. And, like, he's so strong in big barreling, backdoor pipeline Hawaii and then he just won an event which needed a bit of right and left beach break kind of point action all week like there's literally no weaknesses to his game yeah and I mean fuck it really does suck that he hasn't qualified directly for the Olympics because the way that it works is there were only a few different regions that could qualify for the Olympics via this ISA World Games if you are from the Americas meaning North America Central America South America what you could do from this event is qualify for the Pan American Games, which is where um, non-CT surfers from those countries can qualify for the Olympics by winning. So in order to guarantee himself a spot in the Olympics, he would have to go on and now win the Pan American Games, which is, of course, possible. But the odds of just going back to back and beating that many people two times in a row, it's pretty fucking gnarly. But there is a bit of a silver lining. And do you want to tell him about it, Stacey? I would love to, Mikey. Geordie Smith can double qualify for the Olympics via the CT. All he needs to do is place higher than Kanoa Igarashi, Rio Waida, and Matthew McGilvoray to double qualify. So, should Geordie do that? Not all of them, though, right? Just one. Sorry, I also missed out Leonardo Fioravanti. So, of that list, he just needs to improve uh, his position ahead of them by one. Geordie will double qualify, which means Al will get in. Jesus. So if you're Al, what are you doing right now? Are you sending Geordie like a masseuse every night? or like Because that's such a huge thing for his career. Obviously, for Geordie, you know, Geordie's been around for such a long time. He's he's made the Olympics. He made the Olympics last time, but he didn't get to surf because he was injured. So I'm, I'm sure he's super excited about the Olympics. But imagine how much bigger it would be for someone like Al, who also, I would say, could win the Olympics at Chopes if he put in a bit of practice out there. Oh, for sure, Al would be one of the favorites in, in Tahiti. I mean, he hasn't spent a lot of time there, but his his skill set in those types of waves is very high. So, yeah, I think he's definitely given Geordie calf rubs. I think he's probably stayed in El Salvador for the week, and he's just buzzing around Geordie like a little pesty grom and just doing whatever he can to help Geordie, you know, really put these other guys further down the leaderboard than him. Yep, so... That's that. Um, other standouts from the ISA event, Aaron Brooks surfed her way through 11 repertoire cheats to make it to the final and get second place. And she got a new puppy out of it. So good on you, Aaron. She's obviously kind of that next um, stage of the, the young women that are coming up and will be making the tour soon, I would imagine. Also, Sebastian Williams. I didn't really get to watch this much of this event like live because I was obviously doing highway, but I caught some Instagram highlights that just he's such an impressive surfer. Also for Mexico. Mexico is like a secret little wealth of talent right now. Um, anybody else for you, Stace, that really stood out? Not really. More just the fact that Team Peru got gold. And if you look at their team on paper, also for Tahiti, heaps of talent. Like Luca Messinas is psycho in a left-hand pit. Sort of reminds me of like a young Aritz Aramburu. Like, you know, really, really talented in that type of wave, given that where he's growing up. And then Miguel Tudela. The other person on their roster is Alonso Correa. 
he's incredible in a big left-hand pit as well. So Team Peru, as far as qualifying for the Chopu Olympics is concerned, heavyweight. All right, so that concludes the ISA World Games. Now it's finally time to talk about the El Salvador CT, which could very well be starting today. So sorry we're a little bit late on this one. You know, Euro Mike's been been busy. Uh, Stace, where do you want to start with the Punta Roca event? I would love the opportunity to put in a soundbite. So let's get into a forecast, Mikey. Mikey, I would love to know, I'd say, you know, between us, you've spent a lot more time, definitely a lot more time, given that you reside in Costa Rica for half your life. What type of swell does El Salvador and particularly Punta Roca like? And what are we going to get? I wish I could tell you with more confidence. I've never been to El Salvador. I live really close to it. I land in that airport a lot to connect, but I've never actually been there. I have a lot of friends that have been there and from what i gather it does prefer a south swell like more than a southwest swell so i don't know something in the say like 190 to maybe 205 range would be ideal and obviously you know not like it doesn't necessarily need like a huge swell but you definitely want a good bit of swell with a decent amount of period in it this is a point break so we're not looking for short period stuff we saw what happened last year with a tropical storm nearby that sort of mixed up the ocean it was sending all this like nine second period in and it was pretty bad for most of the event so definitely long period south swell and you're going to be looking at really fun surf Naturally, the, the winds tend to go onshore there, you know, around 10 a.m., but it's it's usually pretty manageable. So, yeah, it's all going to come down to basically right now with what we're looking at with the forecast, it's just going to be kind of fun size surf. Nothing special, nothing crazy. It's not going to be flat either, but definitely kind of continuing the run of mediocre surf on this year's tour. I'm going to have to jump in and give you a hand there, mate. <laughs> It's going to be fun as. It's exactly what you said it's going to be. Long period from the south-southwest. It's not going to be huge. The wave height won't be massive, but the period is going to be epic. It's like above 15 seconds all week, which I've spent a little bit of time around Salina Cruz, which is obviously a different country, Mexico, but it's a similar facing range of points. And you look on the maps and you're like, oh, a meter at 15 seconds, it's probably not going to be that big. You get down there and it's six foot. As long as there's period in the swell... It's not going to be six foot. Well, I'm just saying, as long as there's period in the swell, I reckon we're going to be in for a, a treat. Yeah. I, that swell comes from a very, very long way away, and it's very predictable. When they say there's going to be 16 seconds at a meter, like, they're very rarely wrong. And, the, you know, the one positive is that it's going to be way better than last year. Last year was a hurricane swell from the west. Yeah. No, you're. I mean, 100%, you're right. It's going to be better than last year. It's just... It's not going to blow any minds, I don't think. You're going to see some really good surfing, I'm sure, but there also could be a lot of lully heats because it's not this like big dose of energy. It's going to be, I think, a little bit on the slower side. To your point earlier, I think there's going to be a lot of just waiting for the best waves of the heat. So, I mean, of course people are going to do amazing surfing, but it's not going to be an event that I think stands out in our minds at the end of the year. No, I'd have to agree with that. And I think that, Holy, what's the WSL going to do to catch a break? Like, throughout this forecast, there's nothing above a metre and a half, like, in, in metres-wise. But the, the, the most interesting thing is towards the end where the period kicks up to, like, 17 seconds at a metre. And then just after the event, <laughs> it goes up to, like, 18 seconds at a metre and a half, which is probably the biggest day on the forecast, but obviously not inside the window. So... Yeah, but like you mentioned, the, the winds are usually pretty good all morning, and then even when they do pop up onshore, it's it's not strong. Like, it's very, very manageable. So, yeah, you're basically looking for somebody who's going to perform well in head-high rights that can do six good turns on a wave and probably a couple airs as well, and I think we might know who those people are. I reckon we probably know who those people are for sure, but I, I would say that, you know, last year was a little more kind of beach break on a point, I would say this year is going to be a lot more length of ride involved. I'd hope that we're going to get like multiple major maneuvers on a wave, not just like air, race, 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 air, which is what we got last year. Yeah, well, right now there is a little um, warm-up video on the site. I think it's in the Elsewhere section where you can see some of the surfing that's gone down. 
Keep in mind that the waves that they're surfing in this video are bigger than it's expected to be during the event window. This is like, of course, <laughs> as it's gone all year long, basically there was a really good swell right before the window. And as you said, there's a really good swell after it. So that's pretty much been every CT event this year. But yeah, go take a look at that. You can kind of see the level of surfing and the style of surfing that they're doing. It is, it's multiple major maneuvers on these waves. And it's still, it's a point break, but it's, it's not a perfect point break because it's not sand, right? And sand generally creates the most like even uh, continuous line for a point break. But this, there, there's a lot of rocks in this wave as we saw last year. Yago had to do like an ollie over a rock before he did this big full rotation. So you do get some interesting sections out there as well, which I think can actually be fun and add like variety to what's going on. But it's definitely like, you need to probably fit at least three good turns on a wave to get a big score, I'm saying this week. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Let's move into some favorites, Mikey. As you mentioned earlier, there's a couple of clear, clear favorites, but I'm only gonna give you one on the men's side this week. Only one. Who you got? I'm going with Felipe again. Um, he didn't win the surf ranch for me. Uh, we talked about how he may have fallen under pressure there. And I don't know. I just think that one, his surfing is the best suited to the conditions that we're gonna have. And two, there's clearly a lot of fire in the belly of the Brazilians right now. And I am curious, like it feels like the WSL judges consciously or subconsciously are going to go one way or the other. They're either going to reward Brazilians more out of like fear of being reprised again, or they're going to just go staunch and go the other direction and say, judge him even harder. So I'm not sure which way, but I still think Felipe is the best man for the job. No, I'd have to agree. And if, if uh, you hadn't have picked him, I was going to, but I've got a backup favorite and uh, I'll, I'll move on that. And it is going with the, the momentum of the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And I believe the squeakiest wheel at the moment is Gabriel Medina. And I think he's going to win the comp. No one thought he was going to win Margaret River. And I don't think too many people are going to pick him here. I'll pick him. Love the way he competes. I love what he's been doing this year about waiting for set waves. And I think what you mentioned earlier about the forecast is true. It is going to be lully. And that's something I reckon he's been trying to, trying to work on. Uh, so I think he's going to get to put that into play here. We've seen what he's like at the surf ranch. He can execute on two waves only. So I'd love to see him do that in the ocean and, uh, you know, put together a string of major maneuvers, which he can obviously, obviously do. All right, there you go. If the judges haven't bought into it, we certainly have with our two picks right there. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're tripping if you think Gabby's actually going to win. I just don't think that... I think if the wave was bigger... That's when he really can have a backhand that stands out. But when it's small like this, I just, mm. I don't think he can generate the same amount of power. Like to me, Gabby's backhand is all about that big bottom turn and like connection mm. with the lip, but it, it needs a bit of time and space. And when it's smaller, I just don't think he can really keep up with the guys that are on their forehand and just jamming and, you know, yeah. doing the, the big arcs and then also going through the lip and, and everything. So mm. I don't know. I'd be pretty surprised if he won, but he's, he's definitely done worse before well i picked griffin to win the surf ranch and you never congratulated me for that so i'll, I'll take that when it whenever you're ready with gabby i'm did you go double win then yeah i picked griffin and yago i didn't realize that mm, it's fine it's fine i i knew you picked carissa but i didn't know that you picked griffin there was a lot going on that week so i didn't want to i didn't want to um you know <laughs> there was there was a lot of squeaky wheels that week and i didn't want to be another one of them but i will i will be this week I'm picking Gabby. Well done. Not even looking at that forecast. I, the waves could be, I don't even care what they look like. I'm picking a guy who's got a point to prove and would seem that he's got his back against the wall. If he needs to, you know, he's got his back against the wall. I believe he needs to have a huge showing at this event. So, yeah, he might not be the favorite to win. I'll cop that on the chin. But as far as needing to win and him being able to do that when it, it, it's time... He does it better than anyone. How sick would it be as his final form of protest if he just went out in this next event and just did like backside soul arches and like these long lazy cars? <laughs> Gabriel Andy Neblis Medina. <laughs> <laughs> be amazing. Oh uh, um, no, I think I think what would be funny, like, and I reckon he could do it, is if he just did backside Rios every wave and didn't do one air. I reckon he could you know, he'd probably surprise himself because he's got so much natural power that I don't think he always taps into. Uh, he could easily win an event without doing an air. So yeah, Mikey, I, I, I get it. I'll take the heat on picking Gabby. That's fine. We'll see how he goes. But uh, over to the women who you got as a favorite, mate. All right, we're going in. Katie Simmers. 
She's number five in the world, and I think she's moving up the rankings after this event. That's my call, Katie, for the win. I've seen some photos of her uh, that she posted on her Instagram, and there's just this like layback hack that's just so on rail and so tight and technical, and I just think that this wave suits her to a T, so she's going for her second win out here. Last week, I said that the Oakley Welcome to the Team clip was the best Welcome to the cl Team clip I'd ever seen. Uh, I wonder if you've had the chance to since watch it? and tell me whether or not I was tripping or not. Oh, yeah. I, I saw that box barrel. No, I think she 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 outdid you at the box, and then she went on to, to smoke the rest of the field and the rest of the video. So, <laughs> Without a doubt. I didn't even stand up that day, but I was paddling over the shoulder as she paddled into that wave, and it was, um, man, super impressive. The most impressive thing about her whole session and every time she surfed out there is that she doesn't jump off her board. Mm. Like... In seem seemingly unmakeable positions, she just rides the foam ball to the absolute death and gets pushed into the roof of the tube, which is not a pleasant experience uh, by my uh, times of doing that. And, man, that is seriously committed to the tube, the way she's riding the wave out there. Yeah, and that's, uh, I don't know if you remember that conversation that we had with Josh Kerr, and he was actually saying that you should always ride them out to the end, so maybe she's onto something. Definitely. I mean, what do you do? I always jump. Always. If I'm in... It, I jump... Uh, yeah, I jump... What Do you jump head first or feet first? Uh, I try to jump um, with my shoulder, basically. Like, I, like, lean... I fall onto my, like, left shoulder, I feel like. Oh, left shoulder? Yeah, I did that behind the rocket snapper once and broke my collarbone. Yeah, like, I tuck and roll. So now I jump. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I should stop doing <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. And I watch, like, Taj and stuff jump off barrels, and they all he always just goes, like neck first into the pit and i'll just think oh that just freaks me out i, I always jump maybe that's why i'm not making any tubes <laughs> all right so katie's my pick who's yours uh i personally love that she's your favorite like you know she's gone from probably being our underdog picks at some events to now being a favorite which is like well obviously well deserved and i think it's a great pick uh on the women's side i thought tyler was i think by learning and reading her Instagram after the surf ranch, just battling some some health issues, so I think uh, I think she's going to come back with a vengeance, much like Gabby when they sort of have a moment out of the spotlight. They're the best at just sort of turning it around and going, no, 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 I'm still here, and you know, I'm expecting her to be a, a very very strong performer this week. So I'm going to go Tyler Wright for the win in the in the women's, and yeah, she's my favourite. All right, on to some underdogs. Let's pick some underdogs, Mike. <laughs> Again, probably going to cop a lot of heat. He didn't do that good in the pool, and I picked him in the pool, much like you picked Philippe in the pool. I'm going to pick him here again. Yago, backside. The stats are so against me that I've just picked two goofy footers. But I'm picking Gabby for length of ride and being able to put it all together. But if it does drop off and it is more like slow, impactful kind of maneuvers with one-offs, Yago's backhand aerial attack is second to none. So... That's the reason I'm picking him. Ooh, yeah, that is. I mean, statistically, I think like 87.5% uh, of winners at right-hand points are regular footers. So taking a bit of a leap there. Uh, I'm going to go again. Yeah, we're. I'm basically just picking the same people from the pool also. I'm going with Rio again. I know he didn't do great in the pool, but I just, I love his surfing so much in these like small rippable waves. We saw how he did at Snapper. And I know he didn't win that event, but he was looking so good. And again, he's got no pressure on him right now. All he needs to do is go out there and do what he does best, which is surf. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Rio I, to win. I mean, maybe maybe that's a bit of a push, but also the events are so condensed now that you make a couple heats and you're basically in like the quarters or semis. So and and once you get to that point, I think your confidence is so high that anything can happen. So Rio for the underdog win. Yeah, I like that. And, and I mentioned prior to the pool, he just employed Micro to coach him for the rest of the year. Look, I'll be honest, going into the surf ranch as your first event working with a coach, I'm not too sure how much you can really get done in, in the sense of coaching and, and, and learning. Um, it's such a unique environment. Uh, you're probably better off taking like a girlfriend or a brother to that event just to sort of help you get through the weirdness that is surf ranch. But taking someone like Micro back to the ocean is definitely going to uh, play really strongly into into Rio's favor. So I think that um, I think it's a great pick, Mikey. All right, Stace. So that's the men. Who's your female underdog? Oh, it feels kind of strange because you just picked her as your favorite. So I'm, I probably would steer clear just just for you know mixing it up a little bit. I do think Katie Simmons is going to have a really strong event. She 
you know, you picked her as your favourite, and I think, you know, her parts in Toasted when she took the whole gang down there and surfed, I mean, it, it doesn't take a, you know, a brain surgeon to realise that she is a fantastic surfer. So I think she's going to do really well. But just for the sake of having a bit of fun, I, I think Bailey Sakura Johnson, um, she hasn't really had an, an event this year where I, I thought she looked super strong. She had some moments at small Winky Pop, which make me kind of feel confident for her this week at uh, El Salvador. We know she's got the explosive, you know, single manoeuvre kind of blow tail turns. And uh, I think in that kind of, you know, long running right that what we're going to get this week it sort of takes me back to when she was a wild card in Honolulu Bay uh where she just would you know a couple of years she narrowly lost to Carissa and I think she's obviously come on leaps and bounds since then so I think my underdog for the women is uh yeah Betty Lucica Johnson all right well I have a controversial pick here for my underdog and that would be the female goat Steph Gilmore I was going to pick her for my favorite but then I realized She's ranked number seven, and Katie's ranked number five. So I'm throwing Steph in the underdog category. And she's going to need it if she wants to get into the top five this year because we know that the you know she goes to Brazil next, which she has won, but it's probably not her strongest suit. And then the year ends at Tahiti. So she, she has J-Bay after um, Brazil as well to help her out. But she has two events in the last four that really don't suit her that well. So I think she needs to win this one if she wants to make the top five and have another title run. Don't remind me about Brazil. Beat Nikki in the semis. Oh, Nikki went the first wave of the set. Steph went the second. Oh, it still pains me to this day. But no, you're right. She she definitely needs a result. And I think that, uh, like last year, she's the defending champ. She needs a result here. Absolutely here. Because going then into Brazil, chalk her up for a third or better at J-Bay. But going into Tahiti, that's anyone's game, particularly given the forecast. We don't know you know, what that's going to look like. If Steph's any chance at the final five, she needs to win this event. Uh, her coach, Tommy Witts, would know that. Steph would know that. The good news is for Steph fans and yourself, she's been there before and absolutely done it. So we'll see how she goes this year. We obviously have this partnership with betonline.ag. I made my picks last night for both the event win and the round one, and you want me to give you a couple of the sort of highest value picks, huh? Let's call it value bets, Mikey. Let's get into some value bets, my friend. Round one, there's heaps of good value. So I was only giving you one pick each for the underdogs and the favorites. And I'm gonna do the same here, but I want you to tell me, is there a couple of heats that stand out to you? We'll start with the men. Is there any on the men's side that might not be a favorite, but you see in a three-man matchup that, that makes a lot of sense to you uh, as far as return on your money? I've got a massive one. It's probably the bet that I'm most excited about all year long. And there's so many layers to it, but it's Liam O'Brien at plus 750, which if you're kind of either Australian and you have a different betting system from the US or you're kind of new to betting, plus 750 means that if you bet $100, you get $750 in return. Actually, you get $850 in return because your original $100 plus the $750 in earnings. So huge odds against this person. And it's Liam O'Brien versus Gabriel Medina and Italo Ferreira. So you have a regular foot versus two goofs at a wave that we've already talked about is more conducive to forehand surfing. And... You have a situation where these two goofs just so happen to be sort of in the in the naughty bin right now with the WSL. So I think there's a huge opportunity to make a lot of money on this bet. I threw $100 down on it. If I win that, I'm basically good for the event as far as like covering my losses at the very least and maybe even going into some big win territory. i got to ask you, and this wasn't in the schedule, but do you hedge or, or bet against Liam for a lower amount and pick Gabby or Italo in that instance, given that Liam is so long in the betting for Australia, that's 750, which is huge. I'm, I'm not planning on it. To me, it's like, yeah, maybe that's the smart thing to do numerically, but I just, I want that high so bad. Like I did it with Leo last event. I put 50 bucks on him in round one, and I think I won like 375 out of that, and that was great. 
And I'm just doubling down on this one. I'm going 100 on Liam, and I'm, I'm not going to hedge. I'm going to just ride it out. I love it. I love it. And on the women's side, anyone jump off the page. There's only four heats in women's round one, so it's, it's a little bit tighter to pick. Yeah, to be honest, like none of the heats in the women's jumped out at me as a huge value. Just the way that the odds are set and the way that um, the kind of heats are set up with the different surfers. I will say that, I mean, I guess the one like underdog pick that I think has a bit of value in her is Betty Lou Sakura Johnson. She's got such a powerful forehand that I think if she gets on two good waves, she could very easily take down Tatiana and Molly. I think that, I think that her surfing is actually the best of those three when she does her best surfing in a wave like this. It's just a matter of her. She's just a little bit inconsistent still. She's still obviously very young. And the judges have obviously been loving how Molly's been surfing this year. And also Tati, if she gets the backhand going and gets two or three good turns in a row, you know she's going to get an eight as well. So it's a bit of a risky pick. But to me, if you want to kind of throw your money into the wind a bit and see if you get some back, Betty Lou's probably the one. I love it, Mikey. That's why you're the expert, mate. And I don't have any idea in your right mind how you went negative at the pool, but I'm expecting you to go positive <laughs> here at El Salvador. That was pretty impressive, wasn't it? Yeah, it was my first loss of the year, and it was at the only wave that you know exactly what it's going to be like every single time. <laughs> you are human. After all, I thought you were a robot. I did, I did make some event winner picks, and event winner I just went sheer, like, passion like which surfers i love the most and would love to see win the most out there so i went felipe ethan katie and steph i basically threw a 100 bucks on each of them so if any of them win i'll obviously make a decent chunk of change and yeah they're kind of like my passion picks for this week yeah i love it you got to have them i mean that's when you're looking at the event and you, you know someone would tell you you're absolutely tripping and then when they win it makes it all that much sweeter so mikey Thanks so much for your time and giving us your insights into what you're getting after this week. I think that we will see a couple of days of action potentially straight off the bat. So a couple of late nights here for us in Oz. I'll probably only watch some heats if either of my children are up, which is looking 100% likely if anyone wants to bet on that. Uh, but in the meantime, Mikey, enjoy your European holiday. You've, uh, you've much deserved it. Thank you very much. And yeah, should I hop on with Buck now? Let's get on with Buck. Let's get into some news. All right, Mikey, we are back. We are dropping. We're doing a combination episode. You're in you're in combo land, my friend. I am. Yeah, that's true. No, I'm in combo land. Somebody's in combo land. Soon, somebody in El Salvador will be in combo land. Not today. And hopefully, it's Gabriel Medina and Itola Ferreira by Liam O'Brien. We got $100 on them to win. $750 payout. It's got to happen, right? I love it. I love it. You're a man of the dogs now. Welcome to the doghouse. You spend one night in my house, and you start just not being able to resist underdogs. It's just the energy in here. You know, we go for these just outrageously unlikely things that uh, pay really well. So, rub it off on you, I think. Yep, Liam O'Brien and Dogecoin, we're all in. Let's go. We're all in. Let's go. And let's get to some surf news. Best surfing I've ever seen with Wade Carroll. Is it news? Yes, guess what? It is news because this is the Stab Podcast and this is a video that is just now dropping on Stab Premium. If you're not familiar with Wade Carroll, guess what? I am. Um, I have seen him throw a watermelon off. To be honest, the watermelon, it was not in good shape. We were staying at the Karul, which is an apartment looking overlooking Snapper Rocks. And the watermelon, it was... It wasn't in great shape and we were having a very good night that extended to the morning and we were maybe on like the eighth floor and wow. it's very funny when you throw a watermelon off something high. There was that comedian in the US that like made a career out of that. He like smashed Gallagher. You seen that guy? I don't know him, no, but eight floors is a lot because by the time between the time that you drop the thing and the thing hits the ground, there's ample time for a person to walk right underneath that. It thing was you didn't pretty see. clear we we were, <laughs> we were <laughs> We didn't kill a person, but man, the noise that that makes when you whip a watermelon off like a really high balcony, it's so it's so satisfying. It's yeah. so satisfying. So is the best surfing I've ever seen with Wade Carroll. Uh, Wade is a close, even a family friend, even a family friend of Mikey Wright, and Mikey Wright happens to surf really fucking good. So when you grow up with him and start kind of filming him for you know, over a decade, turns out you see some very good shit. Yes, and this time they went to Ireland. 
obviously Mikey spends most of his time in Australia, but they did go on a Euro trip last year, and this was filming for their Pretty Physics website, where if you remember, Mikey did something that doesn't really make that much sense from a marketing perspective, but he dropped three banger edits at the exact same time on a website that nobody had ever heard of before. Mm. A lot of people actually missed them, but they're all amazing edits, and this was one section in one of the edits where he went to Europe. They flew over to Ireland, and they surfed this left that I have not seen a lot. It's not like Mulligmore or um, that really dry, the one on the dry rocks. Yeah, it's not Riley's. It's a big wave. And it's a bit of a slab and a bit of a point break, and Mikey goes absolutely ham on this thing. It's so stupid what he's doing. Like, <clears throat> I feel like when you see somebody, I think waves like actually, I think Chopu is where it's the best example. Like the people who just like live there. I mean, obviously, I have a ton of respect for them. They know that wave so well, and they they surf it so well. But like, when you see somebody show up somewhere for the first time and do what he did there, it's just a fucking another level. Like, it's one thing to charge in a wave that you know really well and you have, like, you could read super well, but to show up at some Mista wave, cold, angry, definitely not perfect. This session was not perfect. And even, like, it looked like a session where, like, you'd be happy even as, like, a high-level pro to get, like, three waves. Yeah, absolutely. It's an absolute, like, okay, yeah, no, I got three, that's cool, job done. Yeah, it's a good little part in my section. But he made basically a whole section in one session out at this wave that... He'd never surfed before, never even seen breaking above two foot before. Went out there, and it's not a perfect wave by any means. It's not like every wave looks exactly the same. They're all different. And he's going on all the ones that the locals don't want because they're either looking like closeouts or to this or to that. So he's getting the scraps. And they often were, all of that. <laughs> they were to this, to that, and closing out many of these waves. So the other thing that this uh, this film doesn't touch on that much, or it does, it references it, but it doesn't really get into it but I really wanted to bring to everyone's attention is that Mikey wasn't out there alone. He was with one of his Quicksilver co-stars, Rolgo Montez from Puerto Rico, who's an incredible surfer, a great tube rider. And Rolo from this session, from what I've seen, because Rolo put out an edit with Octopus last year that was really, really good. And I think he had one, maybe two waves from this session in mm. his Octopus edit. And which he's just, a psychopath. And, and they have a wave fairly similar to this in Puerto Rico as well, that left that they surf that's right next to the super heavy rights. Like, it's not like he'd be totally out of his depth. Like, he would have understood how to surf waves like that before. He'd surfed waves like that before, 100%. Granted, it's different when you're wearing a full suit and boots and stuff, but the fact that Mikey went out there and probably got, what, a dozen really, really good waves and Rolo got, like, one or two just goes to show kind of, like, the level of intensity that Mikey has and how hard he can just, like, turn it on when the conditions come around like that. Yeah, no, it's fucked up. It's it's another level. Um, like I said, Wade, I've seen him throw a watermelon off a, a high building, and it made a very satisfying, loud sound. Uh, I've known him for a bit. He's seen a lot of good surfing, a lot from Mikey Wright. Like, he's, you know, he's he made that movie Rage. I remember when, like, I think Rage was, like, a point where everybody went, holy shit, Mikey Wright is doing things that nobody else is. So he's seen so much Mikey, and it's, it's funny that that happened in Ireland. You know, like, I think it's sick what they did. Like, France and Portugal are, like, when people come to Europe, they kind of just come here for the most part. So for them to go, they started in France and, like, just hear that it could be good up there. To show people different surf destinations, even though I kind of feel like Ireland's trending at the same time, I feel like, you know, Nate Florence had those crazy waves there. I feel like Ireland is somehow, like, the waves have always been there. And it's, like, such a place where, like, you have to be so insane to surf those waves and, like, the local crowd charges but like there's just not that many people it's fucking ireland it's a very unpopulated especially on the coastline there especially by snakes yeah no snakes that pat st patrick got rid of them so ireland kind of trending i'm gonna say ireland's trending more coming i've heard of people coming there this fall too but i fucking back it i back showing people some new not even new but just some different destinations but i back that move showing up basing yourself in one of the hubs and then just waiting you can travel around here so fucking cheap so Power move, nice job, and some very good surfing. Get on it, Stab Premium. Made Lana's special relationship. Oh, this is a good one. Ali Klinkenberg. Nobody does what he does. Ali is a stab writer who 
just plays the game differently in 2023. What he loves to do is go and actually spend time with people. What do you mean he's like an actual writer? He's an actual writer who writes actual profiles, and this is an actual written profile of a human being, which it's rare. Nobody's putting the time and the effort into doing it right. He's incredibly talented, and then he actually goes and does what you're supposed to do as a writer. It's fucking rare. It sounds funny, but it's it's rare. And this is a lovely piece that he wrote after spending some time with Made Lana, a proud son of Uluwatu, and just an incredible person. And Mikey, do you know Made? I don't know Made. Okay. But I did. I visited Indo for the first time in 2015. I was actually doing a surf journalism class with another person who is very into um, experiential profiles on pro surfers Ooh. by the name of Matt George. Sure. You may have heard of him. He's actually releasing a book right now that basically features all of his profiles from the past two, three, four decades of surf journalism. So you can find that, I'm sure, wherever Matt highlights his things. Um, and I was surfing Uluwatu a bit because we were based out of Bali. And I just remember seeing this guy that just looked so different from everybody else in the lineup. Like, obviously, Indonesian surfers and Balinese surfers are incredible, especially at those waves on the bucket. Like, they are kind of leagues above and a lot of them are goofy foot too but they just look like they have such a good read on the wave like getting barrel there's they're just really really incredible surfers and there was this guy who just looked different one he was a regular foot and two his style was so recognizable and distinct and just pleasing to the eye and i was like who the fuck is this guy and matt george was like oh that's marilana he's like basically the godfather at Uluwatu. Like, mm. he's, like, the guy. And you see this guy surf, even amongst pros and whatever in the lineup, and you're like, yeah, he is the guy out there. Like, he reads the wave so well. And like I said, his style is really what makes him stand apart. But reading this profile, too, and getting to know him a bit better was awesome because you, you sort of learn the man behind the style and how why he's so connected to that wave. Oh, my God. I got to be honest. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know the name. Not going to lie. That's the truth. And when Ali started sending me clips of the guy, I was like, oh my fucking god, this guy is incredible. Like, being that stylish backside is so rare. Like, just that tuned in. I don't know. There's something about his style that is so incredibly impressive. So, yeah, even like guys like, I mean, like Craig Anderson, right, is like the style guy. And he, even he doesn't look that good backside. Like, it looks awkward. It's always, backside's always kind of awkward. And yeah. Mariana is one of the few people in this world who makes backside look fun. Yeah. It looks fun. <laughs> if, I could, if I looked like that when I went right, fuck me, I would move to Morocco. <laughs> anyway, go read it. Go appreciate this guy's surfing. Um, it's a completely, it's a different perspective. Born and raised there. Ali talks about that, talks to him about that, and he just seems like such a cool, peaceful, interesting guy that um, it's a great read, man. I'm so happy Ali's doing this stuff for us because not many people are putting in the work like this anymore. Ali does it so well, and you really just feel like you're there with him getting to hear more about this guy. It's sick, so go check it out. 439 minutes of stab in the dark. It's a lot. It's a lot. That's about seven hours worth of stab in the dark, of uh, double blind board testing, and eight years. We've done it for eight years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, this this is kind of just a reminder that when you subscribe to Stab Premium, you don't just get what's on that week. You get a whole entire backlog of, of all the films that Stab has created. And so with Stab in the Dark with Italo just finishing, we decided to compile... All the stab in the darks of the past because I mean I still go back and watch them. I love the Mick one. I'm gonna be honest. You like the Mick one? Yeah. Wow. What's That's your actually, favorite? I like the Dane one. I still I don't know something about Dane talking about surfboards and just being like it's satisfying. Yeah. And like the there's something about too Dane like is just the eternal I would say pessimist when it comes to surf sessions. Like mm -hmm. he's just it's always like there's something wrong with it. Yeah. And then there was like this one session where the waves were so good. And he was like oh, it was kind of fun. And that was like the most you'll ever get <laughs> until until um, that film came out last year where he had that session at Cruy. Then you got a whole other level of Dane, which is him ironically talking about how hard he's scoring, but, <laughs> but also he kind of means it at the same time. Yeah. So just seeing that sort of reaction from Dane was amazing. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, here we are. I mean, the classic story at Stab is the 2015 version, starting with Julian Wilson 
Not Dion Atkinson. Not Dion Atkinson. Important. That is the classic stab story <laughs> of, for some reason, which sounds so fucking funny. I mean, Dion is a great surfer, a great career, but still, that like, everybody thought that was the guy. Like, how did somebody spread a rumor or something? No, how? Buck, 2015 Rookie of the Year. You have to put yourself in the time and place to understand where these rumors are coming from. I get it, but at the same time, it's just funny that like every stab in the dark, people have guesses of who it is. And um, this being the first one, nobody knew what it was. In this piece, you have some quotes from Sam talking about how we had to, he, not we, he had to convince all the shapers one by one to like actually submit fours. They didn't really believe in the project or get it. And um, now here we are. It wasn't John Atkinson. And, now we uh, get really angry emails from shapers who don't get invited yeah, to stab in the dark. Yeah, that happens now. That happens now. And um, we went from... Almost Dion Atkinson's Olympic gold medalists. Yes. Our first Olympic gold medalist this year. What That's an right. honor. That's right. And maybe, well, no, we won't have another one next year, but maybe in the next next year we'll have one. You never know. Obviously, Chopes 2024 is coming up. But for now, we've got 439 minutes for you to just indulge. So can you can you list them all through off the top of the head, Buck, in, in order? Don't, in don't, order. Don't look, at the, don't look at the thing. He's trying to look at the thing. You're not allowed. Okay. Julian, Jordy... Dane. No, you already fucked up. Fuck. <laughs> ah, Julian, Dane, Jordy. <laughs> Julian, Dane, Jordy, Mick, All Stars, Jack, Taj, Itolo. Oh no. Taj, Jack, Itolo. Uh, have yeah, have, yeah, some, yeah, respect. Yeah. Okay, have okay. some respect. Have some respect for your elders. Okay, you're right. You're right. From the top, we've got Julian Wilson, Dane Reynolds, Jordy Smith, Mick Fanning, All Stars, meaning Mick. Jordy and Dane. Julian's not an all-star. Sorry, Julian. Dion Atkinson was unavailable <laughs> for that trip. Taj. And then Jack Robinson. And finally, Italo Ferrer. We don't know where we're going next. We have some conversations. Uh, we, kinda, we might know where we're going next. Yeah, but come on. We don't really know. Nothing's locked in. That's very true. Nothing is true. But we do have it. some ideas. Yeah. And I think it is a surfer that... I'll just say people suggest this happening. So mm. it's not... If you have, We listen. When you suggest things, we listen. Not that that's why we're doing this, but um, I think it will be really good. It's not locked in yet, but something will be locked in because it happens every year. And Italo's is the longest one out of all of them. One, I didn't know that. I felt a little weird when that when those facts came out. I was like, oh, did we overshoot it? But I, hopefully not. Hopefully no. you enjoyed every minute. I think so. 104 minutes versus, I would have thought Jax was longer, but he came in at 79. Yeah, he was punchy. Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy because Jack filmed over like three or four weeks in Hawaii, each of the filmed is in seven days. <laughs> Just the amount of waves that he catches. Yeah. That's true, actually, because the Italo, the stats that we showed about Italo, like how many waves per session and how many, um, you know, like he has an average wave, of, he gets a wave on an average of every 3.5 minutes. Talking to the people who filmed Jack Stab in the Dark, they basically said that there were sessions where he'd go out and he'd catch two waves in like two hours. Like you would just sit and wait and wait. So I guess that kind of makes sense when you combine those. Yeah, I remember hearing those stories of him just, <laughs> just waiting, just torturing filmers in the Hawaiian. Burning stuff. entire batteries without like filming yeah. a clip. <laughs> That's that WA spirit. Time moves slow over there. Time moves slow over there. Anyway, Julian started at 16, so we have come a long way. Um, this series was a big inspiration behind going episodic just because you cut so much gold when you just make one quick hit out of this and obviously 20, obviously 2015 was a different time but still um, we found that we were shooting just cutting a lot of good stuff for essentially no reason so yeah. and next year we'll be going 15 seconds total just one TikTok video yeah it will be exclusive on TikTok as we said we are presented by the Chinese Communist Party so we will see you next year with Patty Sue. All right, Mikey, we only have time for three things, but I'm gonna call out a few more things in the site right now, okay? We have a Paul Evans rant about why, but it pretty much explains why uh, old men in the water are grumpy. It seems like they have a lot of problems. You call it menopause, I guess is the term. Very um, funny, classic Paul, just uh, being a smart ass, also complaining about an 11 year old pint of not super warm and not even a full pint of uh, Lagunitas. Great stuff from Paul. We have a stab edit of the year, which we called out last week, but it is, the title is, this German-born, Spanish-speaking 
Ubermensch's clip is for the Everymensch. Um, <laughs> anytime you can put Mensch in the title, I'm very happy. This is Leon Glatzer's Stab Out of the Year, filmed in your homeland, Mikey, your current homeland of Costa Rica. A bit of that, yep. A bit of Indo and Tahiti as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 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 but come on. You know he loves pavones. You know, you know. Anyway, go check that out. We may have another Stab Out of the Year coming soon. I've seen some emails kicking off. I'm not going to say any names because you know, near music clearance, etc. I would say a surprising stab edit of the year, though. When I watched it today, I was like, oh, wow, he has a different gear that I didn't know about. Mm, I know, I know. We'll keep you posted. We'll keep you posted. Um, your conversation with Stace veered into this territory, but with the whole wazzle schmazzle right now, uh, Ethan Davis caught up with Snake to talk about what he makes out of the whole situation. It's so complex. It's wild. Um... Let's see what happens, but go read that, Snake. It's We called it a measured hot take, which I like. It's measured, but it's also hot, you know? Mm, that's true. It's boiling, but it's one cup of boiling water for you. So go check that out. A few things that we have on the cook. Wait, but don't also forget, because Stace and I talked a lot about the ISA World Games, sure. but we sort of went over the broad strokes. If you want to get deep into the details, we have a lot of breakdowns of like exactly what happened over there. Um, really just talking about who won, who lost, the Olympic people, all everything you need to know about the ISA World Games down in El Salvador is also on the site. Go get it, go get it. And next week, keep an eye out, we have an update on the Board Riders acquisition by Authentic Brands Group. A lot going on there, some good, some bad. Oh, it's interesting. We'll keep you posted. Um, we also have a How Servers Get Paid Season 2 preview coming. So next week, going to be a banger. Get on there. And now, get ready for a healing journey. It's time for the surf's in. Forgive me, Lord, I have sinned. I've come to the conclusion after a long, long road trip, and I'm in recovery mode right now, sweating out all the toxins. And I'm gonna um, let you know what my surf's in is. A few years ago, we were on a road trip down to New South Wales of Australia. I was with my brother and a few friends, Mick Doherty and Sharma Buttonshaw, and for some reason I thought it would be a hilarious thing to make my brother watch me take a shit in the water, grab it, lob it over about 10 meters away, not thinking that it was actually gonna rebound, but it rebounds and sprays straight into his face. But my brother's sitting there with just shit all over him, and I thought it was hilarious. No one thought it was funny. Dad was filming on the beach and just looked at me with complete disappointment. So there it is. I'm sorry, Mum. All right. I, what is up with the, what the fuck is wrong with people from New Zealand? <laughs> I mean, they they just piss all over their hands. They defecate. What the fuck? He basically shit in his hand. What is wrong with these people? We this is the second week in a row where we had somebody from New Zealand that was on Style Highway, just admitting publicly to going to the bathroom all over that this is what yeah, the fuck no respect for their extremities yeah i'm off it i hope we shift away from this we talk about these themes of sins right now we're in this weird defecation urination thing i want out um i'm fucking done with it mikey what do you got here okay well i mean we said that luke didn't respect his hands so we made him wear socks for 24 hours on his hands so that he couldn't use his fingers Which at all he did Mackenzie seems to have no respect for himself whatsoever, nor those mm. around him. I mean, that's his, mm, his that's... brother. It's his blood. Um, so I think the only thing that he can really do is shave his entire head, um, spend a night without sleeping at all in a Lisbon club, and then fly directly to Berlin and go meet his girlfriend's parents and just try to, fi just try to negotiate that entire situation for yourself. <laughs> Um, that's, that's all I got for you, Mackenzie. That's really good. That's really good. And we do, we should probably note that these penances are coming from a little bit of an informed position, knowing that he's still in Europe because mine's also going to focus on this. Uh, it's, he's going to have to pick an option here. I love yours. I really do. Uh, I focus on something different. I went for a little bit more positive. Like basically he's just not civilized in this. Okay. And so like the kind of guy who would just walk around Europe in a speedo for nine days straight. For nine days straight, eating croissants the whole time. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Stab Highway coming soon in July. Anyway, so I'm gonna focus on just this civilization aspect. And again, I have this. 
I'm coming from a position of having information. Power, speed, power, and flow. Speed, power, flow, information, length of pride, importantly as well. So he could do the Berlin thing. I like that a lot. It's grounded. It's good. What I'm going to suggest to him, though, is that like I want him to re-enter society. I okay. want him to re-enter civilization. And so obviously he's just what he's doing there is so far from it. So I want him to experience just these polar ends of the spectrum. And so I want him to fly to Naples. All right. I thought you were going to say like Antarctica, like the polar theme, but mm, though we'll kind of get, yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's cold there. I don't know how cold it is anymore with fucking climate change, but you fly to Naples. All right. You eat some pizza. You arrive in the day. Okay. You eat some pizza during the day. The night, it gets a little bit sketchy. Um, the night you might, if you try to buy drugs, you might sometimes you get robbed with a knife. I don't know. Has it happened to myself or a loved one? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's, I'm just saying, Naples at night. Don't try to buy drugs at Naples at night is the lesson from this podcast. From there, you go to Pompeii. Pompeii is right near there. And Pompeii is where in the year 79 AD, there was a volcano that pretty much wiped everybody out. But it turns out that the volcano helped to preserve everything too. It, it, so now you can walk around Pompeii and you get just look into what life was like in 79 AD. Um, one thing that's often focused on there is the fact that there's a lot of brothels, and the brothels allowed you to fuck children and sheep. Oh, that, you could fuck. And so yeah. this is, again, this is... New Zealand, yeah, we're verging into polar. New Zealand Yeah, that's, this is the, the one side. Part, you yeah. can get robbed with a knife, and you, then you go, and it's somebody's... You could pay whatever to fuck the sheep. Again, that's one side of it. But then from there, you can go to the Amalfi Coast. It's not too far. And Mac, you don't go to Positano. It's played out. It's cliche. All right, you go stay in Maori, you boat in. Maori, he is Maori, which he sounds is Maori, a bit yeah, like which Maori. sounds like it. Yeah, there's a lot of connective tissues here. You drink your fucking Negroni. You have a nice meal, and you just decide what side you want to be on. Do you want to fuck sheep? Do you want to get robbed at knife point, or do you want to have your Negroni, eat your good food, and listen to Gloria by Umberto Tazi? That's all I got for you. Buck, I think I know which way he's going to lean, and I don't think it is going to be the way that you want him to go. 